Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast. Well, that wasn't a bad podium today with Max Verstappen standing on the top step, followed home by Fernando Alonso and Lewis Hamilton. Oh, and joined by a certain Adrian Newey. It's 100 wins for Red Bull, 200 wins for Adrian Newey himself. Between the drivers, just an 11 world championships and 376 F1 wins on that podium. That wasn't bad. Let's get into our race review show of the Canadian Grand Prix. We're joined by our Formula One reporter, Philip Clearan, who has just got back to his accommodation from the uh, from the circuit. And our special guest today is motorsport journalist, writer, author, someone I have wanted to get on the po- podcast for so long, Elizabeth Blackstock. Thank you for coming on the podcast tonight. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's good to be here. I'm glad we finally got it all to work out. So where can our listeners find your work and will have read your stuff? I am everywhere. Uh, You'll probably have known me from Jalopnik. I'm the senior editor. Um, I have a podcast called Donut Racing Show. And if you want to find out more of all of the 900 other things I keep on my to-do list, uh, (laughs) follow me on Twitter at Eliz underscore Blackstock. You'll find everything there. Your Twitter feed, uh, you are prolific on Twitter. I'm convinced that you have somebody posting for you. You must must sleep at some point. And yet whenever I come in, there's always something about racing, uh, Mm. whether you're talking about your Le Mans love uh, last week, you know, the NASCAR Chevy Camaro that was just making a hell of a racket going around uh, the circuit to the south. But uh, and that that went down really well. But so what in terms of like what you naturally gravitate to, is it Formula One? Is it what motorsport do you fall in love with the most? Uh, Formula One. So I grew up with NASCAR being a a good homegrown American, uh, but Formula One was what got me back into racing. I got out of it as I was getting older um, and then Rush came out and I could not believe that that was actually a story that was based on reality. Uh, So I got into F1, but if I'm going to be honest, my true love, I think, is IndyCar just because it's a a little bit more chaotic, a little bit more um, less rules. But I do love I still 
I can't get enough F1. And of course, you have literally written the book on mm-hmm. uh, the saga of rich energy and yes. auto sports offices in Richmond, London. And so we would often see the gentleman himself just walking around, I don't know, looking for someone to talk to. Yeah, uh, maybe flogging a can or two of drink what on earth made you want to co-author with your partner in crime Alanis the story the saga of rich energy yes. so it was actually a very funny story uh, Alanis and I were both working at Jalopnik at the same time we both were very interested in this new sponsor that Haas had starting in 2019 and we started to do our first deep dive for an article uh, after the, that season of drive to survive came out a literary agent watched the series and reached out to us to ask if we wanted to write a full book about the whole thing. And we were like, we kind of already have just following the saga of what went on and doing the, you know, periodic updates of the news stories. So, you know, why not put those together, tie in some interviews? It turned out to be a four-year process, but it was it was really rewarding and it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, William's story is a character that is ideal yes. to write about racing with rich energy with yourself, Elizabeth Blackstock and Alanis King, uh, how a rogue sponsor took Formula One for a ride. You can get that online or wherever you get your books right now if you want to uh, add that to your collection formula one return to canada it's a racetrack that i love it's it's a bit of an outlier in for, for many reasons uh, but we'll get into we'll get into how this weekend went uh, we'll start with you philip with max verstappen making it look easy once again friday was a little bit up and down for red bull and, and max saturday was just impressive just a second quicker than anywhere else when it when when it got wet today making it look easy now in the timesheets he didn't finish as far ahead from Alonso as his previous wins this season does that mean the other teams are catching him or Red Bull are just getting better at at not looking like they're so dominant this year I guess Red Bull are just uh, either cruising (laughs) or um, yeah they are trying to give people hope that maybe there is a some kind of battle coming in the next couple of races but I think this was not even Red Bull's best circuit that was probably Barcelona so if this is what you can do at your weakest strength of one of your weakest strengths then you're not in bad shape right but I think yeah the most of the damage was done on Saturday because that was just extremely impressive there's a lot of things that could have gone wrong in the rain with the tire choices a lot of teams did get it wrong and they just made it look so easy never on the right wrong tire always making the right calls so that was really just super impressive and then today it was a big groundhog day uh, just Max leading from pole and off into the sunset. He still does those radio calls of, you know, on the tyres. Oh, I can't, I'm losing grip. And you know, it was reminiscent of when Hamilton was so dominant. He'd sort of radio something in about something that isn't even really a thing. It yeah, doesn't seem it must like be, there's any problems with that car. Yeah, it must be really terrible having <laughs> trouble with your hard tyre when you're the fastest car on track and in the lead. I'm, I feel really sorry for him, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> it's got to be tough. It's got to be tough. Yeah. And, tough life. and he did it all with um uh this is quite uh quite gross half of a bird stuck in his brake oh. duct which is a bit horrible but even yeah it was even limping home uh so so to speak elizabeth how did you uh read today's canadian grand prix overall i definitely agree that i don't think this was red bull's most dominant track on the calendar and we did get to see a little bit more of the midfield battles rising to the top but i really started to kind of come around to max verstappen's late race radio messages where he kind of makes a mistake or you know he bounced off the curb today and <laughs> radioed in to do a little a little chuckle about how how he had almost lost control which 
I feel like if you're at that position where you can have a laugh at the fact that you almost turfed it in the curves, you're probably doing all right. It's like a six-year-old riding a bicycle and then going off to your parents like, did you see me do that? (laughs) so much in reserve as well and Mm -hmm. it's just you know it's a pleasure to watch and i'm trying to work out why i'm loving this season so much because as much as you you know you admire any driver at the top of their game and actually some of lewis hamilton's dominance has been against really handy teammates i don't think perez is as good a teammate as hamilton's had in his career but this could easily be a boring season and it could be, well, okay, we're a third of the way through now. Red Bull have won it. It could be one of the, like you say, like you know, if you prefer watching IndyCar for certain reasons, and part of that is because you know, the action's a bit different, but also there is a bit more competition. When you look over at Formula One, you think, well, I know who's, I know who's won this year, but there's still something about this season that's really compelling to watch. Um, there's so much happening, I think, in the midfield that hasn't really been a factor in the past few years. We've really had those like three teams that were dominating and you could kind of count on Mercedes, Red Bull or Ferrari swapping out those podium positions. And if you're kind of able to look past that, you've got Aston Martin shining out of seemingly nowhere. You have the storyline of Ferrari fumbling quite a bit this <laughs> season and you've got Mercedes kind of reviving. Um, there's so many different midfield parts that I think are really interesting. Yeah, you kind of know Max is going to do well. um, But there is also something very nice about seeing, we just don't get these drivers often. Uh, He's like one of a kind, kind of a special kind of talent. That is kind of interesting to watch, even if it's like, yeah, we we know he's quick. We know he's really good. We know he's probably going to win. It's also cool to see like records ticked off and boxes checked uh, on the way there. What do you think about the comparison of, because he equaled Senna's record today and I'm always I kind of have two minds about that because there are so many more more races of a season now mm-hmm. and also the cars are different the cars are more reliable now and I don't know if you should compare you know a Verstappen you probably can, can compare a Verstappen to a Hamilton uh, but then you go to a Vettel and and you know and then a Schumacher and a Senna and you can't compare that you know then you can't compare to if you go back even further and further, and you know Jim Clark and Ascari, and you start going, well, hang on, this is, it's it's ridiculous comparing fifty years apart. But mm-hmm. uh, then again, the the stats. That's what we do like a good stat, don't we? Yeah. So I don't like comparing with ERS because I, you know, you're completely right; it's unfair. But as far as that goes, I think the comparison between Max and Senna is actually really fitting because they mm-hmm. both had seasons in stupidly dominant cars with only their teammate to beat. Okay. Senna had a much better teammate with Alain Pross. But they also had seasons where they had no right to win races, and they still did in inferior cars. So I think the comparison is actually pretty decent. And I think that we are seeing someone who has a very unique way of driving and a very unique approach to it in a very similar way that Senna does. I do think that they're very different approaches, but that single-minded focus that you usually – Obviously, every driver has it, but you see other things like Lewis Hamilton had much, you know, much broader interests in his world. Max Verstappen racing all the time, Senna similar, fully focused on that, wanting to dominate at all costs. I struggle to kind of, you know, do the cross culture comparisons. I really do like the 1970s. I love the historical stuff. I'm never going to say that, you know, someone like Fangio is, I, I just don't think you can make that comparison. There is, I do think there is something to say about the the, the Verstappen and, and Senna comparison. 
and just keeps ticking off records mm-hmm. and 100, 100 Red Bull uh, wins today. Fastest team to 100 wins, I think, in the stats book and the history books. We actually, it's just an insight into the kind of mindset of top sports people weeks ago because we we worked out that they were so dominant they were going to win and it, i think it, if italy hadn't been cancelled it would have been spain they got their hundred so months ago we approached red bull and we said to christian horner oh can we do a thing now can we interview you now about what it's been like how you got to 100 and you know talk to you about vettel and weber and the battles and and all that and they said let us focus on getting there and that's amazing because they've wow. got enough in reserve. They could have said, okay, yeah, we'll help you, you know, for the magazine and we'll do, uh, you know, they would have shot some scuff, stuff for Sky or whatever. But they said, no, we're not going to talk about it until we do it. And now we get access to Christian. We're sitting down with Christian Horner tomorrow and and, make, and doing the feature on Red Bull. But kind of insight into the mindset of, clear they're so dominant this year, but they still didn't count their chickens. They just wanted to go racing and get that. That was really interesting. They 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 politely knocked us back a couple of months ago and said, "Leave us alone. Let us get to a hundred. That was interesting. But, I have, uh, I have a lot of go. respect for that. Like we saw last year with everyone kind of congratulating them on the championship well before it actually happened, and it was like, no, 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 hasn't happened. Hold off on it. You never know. It is motorsport. Crazier things have happened, but this one was like kind of at the cards. Kind of really. Let's have a look at the top 10. Max Verstappen, Fernando Alonso, Lewis Hamilton. That was your top three starting and that was your podium. Uh, Of course, we'll get into George Russell. He was fourth on the grid, but it was a DNF today. Then followed home by Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz in fourth and fifth. Sergio Perez, sixth today. Alex Albon, driver of the day. Whether you agree or not with how that's voted for and stuff, you can't disagree. He was driver of the day today. (laughs) Alex Albon, seventh in the Williams. Esteban Ocon could not get his Alpine pass today in eighth. And then Lance Stroll in ninth. Valtteri Bottas, good result for Alfa Romeo in tenth today. And the two McLarens haven't scored here in years in Canada. Still didn't score today because of that Lando Norris penalty. We'll get on to that unsportsmanlike behaviour. The tyre strategy, it was split, wasn't it? You had the Red Bull, Aston, Mercedes, top runners, all started on mediums and then went hards when the safety car came out because of the George Russell incident, when he, uh, it was a small mistake, but clattered the back of his car and then the front. And so it was a, he was a DNF in the end, but he said, I think maybe you've spoken to George or Mercedes. He said it wasn't actually the accident that caused the DNF. I'm not sure I, I need to read more about that, how that makes sense. But, but then you had behind them, the Ferraris who chose to go track position and to stop starting on medium, but then doing, Big stint on the medium, big stint on the hards. It worked out for the front runners. What was the best tyre strategy going into the race, Philip? Do you know, did did they say what the optimum was? Yeah, so this was a bit complicated because it was very close between a two-stop on medium-hard-hard or a one-stop medium-hard. And because it was such a disruptive weekend with practice being rained out, we just had the 90 minutes of FP2, really. And then the track gets scrubbed clean again because of the rain in qualifying. So there was a lot of questions about how the tires are going to hold up? Are the mediums going to start graining? How far are the hards going to go? And it turns out that a one-stop was really probably the best for, for most cars. Uh, we've seen that with Albon. I think Williams were probably a bit surprised that nobody else went for the one-stop in front of them, apart from um, the Ferraris. Yeah, But I spoke to a couple of drivers that were kicking themselves that they didn't do the same thing. But in, you know, at the time, it didn't seem too unreasonable. It was 15 laps into the race. You want to get onto the hard tire. Most teams still had two pairs of hard tires. So it was understandable to, to use that safety car and, and make a, a cheap pit stop. 
in hindsight, if, for example, if Esteban Ocon, a couple of other guys, if they also went on the one-stop strategy, then they probably would have beaten Albon to seven. And in terms of the the front-running pace, as you mentioned the two Ferraris, but really Sergio Perez did one-stop, didn't he? Because that, although he two-stopped, it was only for that soft tyres at the end to get the fastest lap. Why didn't Max Verstappen, like he did last time out in Spain, where he just decided to turn it up, go a second quicker than anyone, and then go, oh, I'll go back to normal speed now, and he got his fastest lap. Why didn't they do that again this time out for maximum points? They put Sergio on the, the soft tyres at the end, last lap. He did get fastest lap, by the way, if anyone missed that towards the end. Why didn't Verstappen go for it? Maybe it was the Burt's fault. I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> I think they're just... I just I don't think there was enough on the on the tires to really do that. So yeah, so that was that was he took and he because he took the fastest lap off. Lewis Hamilton took the point away from Mercedes, but it was a great podium. So good to see Elizabeth. Are you an Alonso fan or not? I mean, you kind of got to be an Alonso fan in this this era of him getting back on the podiums. Where's that stat that I found that I, I wanted to wheel out on uh, on the podcast today? He now has double the podiums in 2023 double the podiums this year than all of the last seven seasons combined you can't get the smile off alonzo's face are you uh, an alonzo fan i i've actually i've gone back and forth on him so many times over the years uh i've loved him i've hated him um i love his personality and then sometimes i'm like no i changed my mind um i like when you're sassy but you know maybe you've gone too far and i've decided that's too sassy. Love that he did IndyCar. Love that he was pursuing the Triple Crown. I thought that was wonderful. Mm. But this year, I got to say, it is wonderful to see him at the top. I was like, I kind of hope he continues to stay in the sport. I want to see how much how much more he has. Um, he obviously has skill. He obviously has talent. He's having the time of his life. Uh, and it's also very, very sweet to see the way he's taken his teammate Lance Stroll under his wing this year. <laughs> I was expecting fireworks between those two, and I got the exact opposite. Um, and I think that pleasant surprise has really uh, has warmed me to Fernando this year. It's, it's been nice to see a new face on the podium after, you know, we, we got pretty used to the same set. It's nice that he's back on it. Did you ever think that he was at risk from Lewis Hamilton today? I thought there was a chance for a good scrap between the two of them. But as soon as he kind of got past, I was like, mm. I just think he's got something else this year. And there's some drive in him and something with the team where they've just took it, taken it to a next level. Something that even Mercedes has been struggling to come up with. And I don't think Mercedes really, they weren't expecting much from this track. I was surprised that they, they did as well as they had. But they're still, I feel like they're still kind of in recovery a little bit from from mm. some some engineering choices and some aerodynamic choices that maybe weren't the best. So I, I wasn't very surprised, I think, that Alonso got past, but it was nice to know, you know, we're at a point where these two, like, we can really start see them seeing them kind of go after each other. Uh, and that's exciting. Really exciting. And it was lovely to watch it in the cool down room as well. And Lewis <laughs> Hamilton was like, oh, man, you've got an awesome rear end. And he's like, who are you talking to me? And like, well, you've both got awesome rear ends. And <laughs> I suppose he spent a lot of the lot of the race looking at the back of Alonso. Alonso. Philip, did you talk to Aston Martin today? What was the issue they were with with Alonso? Did they let on? There was a lot of, can you lift and coast, which for any of our newer listeners, that just means, you know, not braking at the last minute in the braking zone, but letting the aero slow the car down maybe 100 metres before the braking point. It saves, it, normally it's to save fuel. It can be to cool brakes and things like that. But did they let on why they were so insistent on him doing that for a big chunk of the race until maybe Lewis has got like a, a second and a half behind him and then Aston seemed to have the legs to get back to maybe three seconds. What was what was the deal there? I didn't speak to anyone on Aston, but my 
colleague, our colleague, Johnny Noble did. He spoke to team principal Mike Crack. And so the issue was that they told them to save fuel because they thought there was a, a problem with the fuel system. So oh. on their data, they saw that, you know, they saw an anomaly on the data that you know made it seem like there was less fuel in the car than there was or something like that. They didn't want to give, our, you know, give us any details, but it looked like it was something like that. So yeah, they told them to save fuel until they realized that there was no actual issue. It was just some sort of anomaly. So then he was able to go again. Now I saw that a lot of people picked up that it could have been some kind of brake issue, which was quite funny because then I think it was uh, Mercedes that told Lewis that, hey, Fernando ahead might have a brake issue. So keep putting mm. pressure on it. And cracks at something funny. He said like, yeah, we heard that conversation too on the radio and we just looked at each other on it. Huh? Do these people know more about our car than we do? But whatever it was, when they let Fernando off off the leash and let him, let he, I think what was he, it made a radio call and went, yeah, leave it to me or something like that, he said. He sort of doubled the gap from one and a half to three seconds and extended it after that. Uh, Philip, the upgrades that you've seen Aston Martin bring and maybe even you have some inside knowledge on what they will be bringing, they seem to be working. So what's really impressive is Aston have not only got a great package this year, but the bits that they are developing seem to be working really well, better than perhaps some other teams as well. Have you got any insight on that? Well, it's not entirely surprising because if you look at last year, Aston was one of the best developing teams as well. They developed their car a lot from the start of the season to the end. So that's just something that they were good at and they've been carrying that through. Because um, in Bahrain, they told us that what they launched there was actually quite a basic car for what they had planned. So now you're seeing that rolling out and they're doing a really good job. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's talk teammates. And I'd love to get Elizabeth's view on this because I, uh, I, you know, I, I need somebody else to talk about Sergio <laughs> Perez because the last few podcasts, I've been so harsh on him. But look, the last three qualifyings have been terrible for Sergio yeah, Perez. And I just keep I'm. I keep saying it, and all the Mexican listeners have gone now from this podcast, because if you're in the RB19, it's so dominant, the minimum you need to do is to come home second every single time. It's to be second on the grid and come home second. More trophies for the cabinet at Milton Keynes in the Red Bull reception. And then, but oh, what was today? Sixth. I, I, mean, I, I don't know if I ever saw Perez racing today and thought he ever had a chance of getting past those Ferraris. I'd love you to tell yeah. me I've got Perez wrong. but I, I wish I could say that. <laughs> I really wish I could. I like I, him. I like, as I as a driver, too. as a person, he comes across as a nice guy. I want him to do well. Mm-hmm. I think what, I think, you know, where perhaps 
my opinion of him turned a little bit was when he started talking about being a championship contender earlier this year. And then mm-hmm. his fan base got behind it and was like, yes, he can take it to max. Well, no, this is a silly conversation now. He's never going to take a championship battle. To- over a race, I think he can. Mm-hmm. But over mm-hmm. a season, he can't yeah. beat Verstappen in a million years. Come on. But uh, anyway, I'm sorry. Yes, your, your thoughts on, on Perez today. Coming home sixth. And, and actually, yeah, just get your thoughts on his season where he's just hit this cliff like a few races ago and, and just has he lost his head or something. He's really wobbled. It's very, I honestly, like, it's kind of shocking to see how quickly that downturn has happened. Like, I, I don't think I had hoped that he was going to be a championship contender, but I did have hope that, like, maybe we'd be drawing out the ultimate, um, you know, the conclusion of the championship with Verstappen ultimately taking the championship a little further into the season between those two teammates. Um And it has not at all gone that way. Red Bull has been very, very harsh on a lot of those teammates who are partnered up with Max Verstappen. We've seen so many drivers cut or demoted. And I just don't think we're going to have that anymore. Um, Perez did play a good, you know, wingman for a very long time. But I saw, you know, last year we saw their relationship really deteriorating, Um, especially in Brazil, I think it was the the Mm. big one. Something feels like Sergio has tried either too hard or hasn't tried hard enough. Uh, and it feels like they, he's probably just not clicking with the team. Alex Albon, a few few months ago, wrote a nice story for the Players' Tribune about how the car was developed specifically with Max Verstappen in mind. And Max's very particular driving style makes it difficult for any other driver to get into that car and make it work. Oh. So I, it makes sense, like, you know, theoretically they are on equal footing. But when you've got someone like Max Verstappen who has a very particular and distinct driving style that's unique compared to most everyone else on the grid – no one else can really get in that car and do the exact same thing, but it. I just don't really know what happened to Sergio. He he was doing so well, and I want to see him do well. Um, one of the highlights for me, was, you know, I was being an F1 fan, was going to the United States Grand Prix and seeing all of the Checo fans come up from Mexico. They single-handedly converted me to being a Checo fan many a year ago just to see their enthusiasm, and I know that that – that would be so nice for such a passionate f- part of the fan base. Um, but it's just been bad news bears this year. Not that Formula One needs any more pressure, but he'll be looking <laughs> up across the garage and there's a pretty quick Aussie just walking around with a big smile on his face mm-hmm. and Daniel Ricciardo being like, put me in a seat and I'll drive a car fast. Like, is that realistically an option? Not, I mean, he's not going to lose his seat halfway through a season, is he? I mean, not unless he implodes, but even yeah. then. But next year, oh. I don't know. I was gonna say, I feel like we've seen crazier things happen. Like I, I wouldn't yeah. completely put it off the table at this point. Um, I think if we see Sergio getting getting you know feisty with Max, uh, if that becomes an issue again, I could easily see Daniel Ricardo becoming a very very attractive option because I think he would just be happy to be there. What was the thing he was doing this weekend with Will Arnett? I didn't catch any of it. It passed me by. <laughs> Uh, he, they have their own little broadcast now. So they team up and they, it's Will Arnett and Daniel Ricardo kind of offering the commentary. Uh, I watched a little bit of it. It was not my favorite. It was not my favorite. Um, but I, I respect that they're kind of trying to get out there and do something a little bit more interesting and a little bit more fan oriented. Um, I just don't necessarily know that, um, the setup for it was right this weekend. Maybe they need like a broadcaster to mm-hmm. anchor it. And that's then- kind of... I feel like they, they needed that linchpin of someone to kind of guide the two of them around. 
because the two of them together were not quite sure what they needed to do. Um, and that happens. It, it, yeah. I'm not surprised, but um, yeah, it was a little bit of a rocky start, I think. Uh, let's also talk teammates. Uh, we've talked Lewis Hamilton, and uh, I saw after the after the event today, uh, Phil, Toto Wolf told one of the TV channels that for the first time in a year and a half, they're seeing their correlation exactly match what they expect to see on the track, which is, well, that's a huge admission. They never went that far in admitting how bad things were at Mercedes, but uh, that's, a, that's a huge, it's what you want, but it's a huge admission that it's been a wasted 18 months, well, a difficult 18 months for the team from Brackley. But then George Russell hit the barrier, smallest of mistakes. That's what brought out the safety car. I really felt for George because it seemed like he was, well, it seemed to me like he was right on the ragged edge at that point of the race before, was it lap 12 or 15? Just to keep up with Fernando and Lewis. And it seemed like he was right on the edge to stay fourth. And it just caused a small mistake. What did you think? Well, I still can't believe he almost finished the race, to be honest. That was a big old <laughs> whack. Shout, so yeah. Great effort to keep going. Looks like the car was fairly okay uh, after that. It's Canada. It's one of those tracks where you make a tiny little mistake and you're in the wall. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it can happen. It can happen to Russell. It can happen to any of these 20 drivers. So it, it didn't really make a big deal of it. It's clearly, he was clearly upset afterwards, but that's racing sometimes, you know. I think the official reason for retirement was it was brake failure, wasn't it? That was, uh, um, yeah. I think the official reason. Yeah, they were very concerned about the the left hand brakes, uh, so they decided to retire the car before it became a much bigger issue. Let's talk a little bit about the two Ferrari drivers then, and I love those radio calls that were going on uh, to to Charles Leclerc saying uh, Carlos Sainz will not attack you. Maybe it was a language thing, but I just thought <laughs> bit sinister. Also, a little odd as well. It seemed to me like at that stage, well, they said it twice as well at different stages of the race. It was almost like reassuring Charles Leclerc. And of all the talented people on the grid today, of all the people who deserve to be in a better car, by the way, Charles Leclerc deserves that Ferrari to get better quickly. Like, he doesn't really need reassurance that Carlos Sainz is not going to try and overtake him. thought that was a bit of an odd radio call. Um, But yeah, Ferrari did the one stop. I must admit, when the safety car came out because of George Russell's crash uh, and Ferrari opted for track position rather than taking the tyres, fourth and fifth is the best they could have done. But also they couldn't go forwards and get closer to, to Lewis and Fernando. Were you watching the Ferrari uh, battle, Elizabeth? Were you? What do you think of those radio calls as well? I thought the radio calls were very, very interesting. This is These are two teammates who generally seem like they get along, who generally seem like they have a lot of respect for each other out on the track. But I think it kind of lends a sense of, you know, no one is really feeling good about being at Ferrari right now. And I can see, <laughs> I can see why you might want some extra reassurance. Like, you don't have to worry about the other guy. Just focus on getting a clean race. Um, I, like, it, it, it was an interesting choice of language. Um, but I also, I can really, I can really see why someone like Charles Leclerc might actually need that. He's had a pretty rough season and he is one of those folks who's pretty hard on himself when he screws up uh so when we've seen him make errors we've seen the team make errors but he's often been at the you know he's been the butt of those issues Hmm. maybe he did need that little boost today and i kind of hope he didn't because that's a that's not really a mental thing you want to be displaying to your competitors at the same time uh it probably was nice to know like he could just 
exist <laughs> and didn't have to push himself too hard. And that was a great result. I think I think a great result mm-hmm. for the team today. They started mm-hmm. in, that, in that order. Uh, Charles Leclerc was 10th on the grid, followed by Carlos Sainz. There were so many penalties. I just lost track of the penalties yesterday <laughs> uh, after qualifying. I think I finished at 4 a.m. UK time. It's 2 o'clock now, but I think it's 4 o'clock last night um, in the middle of the night. And my five-year-old gets up at like 6 o'clock. Morning, Daddy! I'm like, I've had two, <laughs> I've had two hours sleep, so I haven't fully processed all of those, all those penalties. But they started in that order. They finished in that order, but it seems that was a good result today. They sort of needed today. They played it safe. They didn't do anything too crazy. Obviously, they chose a very different tire strategy and opted for that that track position as opposed to fresh tires. But I just think they needed something good and something to hold on to. It's a lot easier to maintain your positions than to have to try to battle up the field if you've had a a terrible pit stop or some other shenanigans that go down. Um, Ferrari tends to be in the thick of those those issues. So I think it's going to be a good confidence builder for the team. I think it'll be good for both of the drivers who have had pretty a pretty difficult start to the year. They've really gotten, they've dropped back. In my mind for a while this year, they were probably the number two team. And now I'm thinking maybe they're Mercedes, tied with Mercedes at number three. Um, and if Mercedes keeps progressing and Ferrari kind of, Ferrari keeps being Ferrari, uh, we might we might see them drop back a little further. One of the things I said to John, uh, our colleague Jonathan Noble um, after last weekend was, well, look, Ferrari say we're going to return to Le Mans, the top, the top flight, uh, of of Le Mans as a manufacturer and at their first attempt they're going to win it does this put more pressure on the Formula One team we saw Fred Vasseur on the grid at Le Mans uh, we saw Charles Leclerc turn up he even said I'd like to have a go in these cars well of course you would that Ferrari 499p just won Le Mans we saw Antonio Giovinazzi was soaking up all of the praise in the paddock in Montreal uh, today and John said, "Yeah, I get what you're saying in terms of it's it's more pressure, but you can't put any more pressure in Italy on Ferrari than <laughs> they already get." Um, but it was interesting. It was a good it was a good call today from the, mm-hmm. the the team, and that's probably where Ferrari have let themselves down a lot last year. Not so much this year, but uh, I thought I'd mention that because I know you watched Le Mans last weekend as well, and it was one of the things that not only was the car good, mm-hmm. but actually as a race team. Uh, I think the 51 car wouldn't pull away. And they weren't like running around going crazy. It was just like, okay, power it down, do a recycle mm-hmm. or whatever they call like a power cycle or whatever. Yeah. Control or delete, isn't it? And yep. then <laughs> it was like, it was just all sort of controlled. And it was like, well, that's that's Ferrari being really good as a race team. And today mm-hmm. they seem like they were good as a race team. Like the pit wall seemed to be on it. They still give their drivers a lot of responsibility, don't they, to make to make the calls and yet in qualifying they didn't that's what they screwed up yesterday yeah. so when things fall apart it often seems like everyone at ferrari butts heads and all those different departments kind of go after each other in a different way they needed i think that lamar win to show how you get back to the top like you just need you, everyone needs to work together we all have to be part of this um even though the, you know sometimes your tire strategy in qualifying isn't the best, but you got to make up for it somehow, and they did that today in the race. Absolutely. A quick look at where the championship stands. Then Max Verstappen leads with 195 points, followed by Sergio Perez 126 and Fernando Alonso 117. I do think that's going to be something that we need to watch for the rest of the season. Oh, Alonso going for second. Holy moly, that would be huge. 
in well bad in huge for Perez. <laughs> uh, Lewis Hamilton 102 points. Carlos Sainz on 68 and George Russell on 65. And then Charles Leclerc 54. Uh, Lance Stroll, Esteban Ocon, Pierre Gasly, Lando Norris uh, is how the drivers' championship is shaping up. Where's my inbox? Uh, there we go. That was uh, the email that arrived and the constructors' championship. Uh, Red Bull Racing 321 Oof. points. Holy moly! Mercedes a second, 167. Aston Oof. Martin 154. So yeah, such a massive gap, isn't it? It's just like take away Red Bull this year, and yeah, it's, a brilliant, it's, it's a brilliant championship. It's like, oh my goodness, who's going to win? Um, and you're right. Actually, you're right. In my head, Ferrari have had more of a stinker of a season than they actually have. No, you're absolutely right. 122 points. They did score some some half decent points. Azerbaijan mm-hmm. and Miami was okay. Saudi Arabia was okay. Um, Today was very good, of course, and uh, one of their best, their second best weekend of the year, I think, behind Baku. Um, Philip, I did a video with John Noble earlier for our YouTube channel, and I said about Ferrari, he said, look, they needed today because it was just, consi- it was just consistency. Do you agree with that? Can you explain what that means, why Ferrari just needed that stable race today? Well, Ferrari have been really struggling with just understanding where their race pace goes. They've built a pretty good car, if you look at, where they qualify normally. We've had Charles Leclerc qualify within two tenths of pole here and there. It's just on Sunday they've been falling apart, and I'm not sure they really understand why yet. We've seen that in Barcelona. Leclerc had a terrible stint on the first the first stint of the race on hard tyres, had a good stint at the end of the race on hard tyres. It just didn't make sense. So to now have a race where they were just solid throughout the race, there was nothing weird going on. Good strategy calls. Everything worked the way it was supposed to work. I think that's just something that they really needed to be able to uh, kick on and make the next step, especially when they are going to bring more upgrades. You need to have some kind of consistency, a solid platform, and they, they had it today. So it's, who knows, it's uh, the first one. We need to see if they can keep that up in Austria, for example, but it's it's a good start. When are those next upgrades coming? Um, you know, I'm not actually sure. I think they'll keep bringing like smaller bits rather than relying on one big package because they don't like bringing too much and then having to understand uh, how they can get the most out of it. So I think they'll be bringing small bits to most of the races before the summer break, but I'm not exactly sure how much. Two weeks away from the Red Bull Ring in Austria and then Silverstone after that, which I'll be at, which I'm really looking forward to. That should be our both brilliant circuits for for different reasons all right can we talk about alex albon now can we get on to <laughs> yes please driver, driver of the day oh my goodness Finally. uh qualified ninth finished seventh alex albon did a, a, a one-stop strategy started on the mediums pitted with a safety car with a george russell crash after lap 12 and then did 58 laps on the hard tires didn't set a fastest lap that I think that was in even in like the top 12 or something like that. So just brilliant to watch. How on earth did Alex Albon do that amazing defense and keep behind him an Alpine of Esteban Ocon, which is a, that's a, you know, at times a top four car. And, mm-hmm. and actually Ocon, very underrated driver this year. George Russell was stuck behind him at times. It was just like a, just a masterclass to watch, wasn't it? That was amazing to watch. Any minute you thought, okay, DRS is going to kick in. They're going to start overtaking him. And he was just deploying that energy, being really smart. It was great to watch. It was. And that was the kind of performance I wish we had seen more of when he was at Red Bull. He 
he just killed it today and it was absolutely fantastic to see it. And especially, especially for Williams, uh, a team that has not been doing the best. Uh, he, he did a great job. I think that's going to be something that they can kind of more the rest of their championship around. So James Vowles said something about bits of Williams being 20 years out of date. Whether I'm not sure if he's talking about the facilities or something. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, something like that. What do you think that means, you know, Albon's drive today? Is it Was it circuit specific or was it just highlighting when he's having an amazing day, how good he is as a driver? I think it's a combination of things. It's clearly a circuit that suits Williams a lot because they have a really slippery, efficient car that is lacking downforce, but it's quite low drag. So on a circuit like Montreal, where you don't really have any sort of high-speed corners, they can really exploit that efficiency in that, that top speed, and that helped him keep people behind him. Now, they've also upgraded their car quite substantially this weekend. They had a massive upgrade to the floor, side pods, uh, other parts of the car. So they they are working on it. And, you know, you touched on what James Fowles said. Yeah, they've just had such a lack of investment over the past two decades that they've not been able to evolve uh, all sorts of facilities compared to where the other teams stand now. So that's going to take years to address, even if they start today building new facilities that is going to take a long time it's result like results like these that they live for now they have to like make the most of circuits like these we've seen it last year in monza as well when nick de Vries, uh finished ninth i believe on this uh, one-off it's again this this type of circuit is what they are basically aiming their season or building their season to, uh, around and if yeah, if everything comes together and he was amazing in qualifying as well, yeah, he was just hugely satisfying for that team because they needed something to hang their hats on. Absolutely. I think the best result they've had since George Russell back in 2021. Listeners can, can correct me if I'm wrong on that in Belgium. Six points added today on top of the one that they got in Bahrain at the beginning of the year for finishing 10th. And they've gone from you know, one point to seven points ahead of Alpha Tauri, just a point behind Haas, who could have scored points today. Haas had a real stinker. We're going to get on to the, when we finish off the podcast, uh, what our guests think about the way that Saturday went. And yeah, teams that didn't score any points today. McLaren didn't score any points again in Canada, but Lando Norris got a five-second penalty, which put him back into 13th for unsportsmanlike behaviour, which is the most frustrating thing. Uh, Formula One just drives me crazy sometimes. Just give him a penalty for driving too slowly because you can't drop back 10 car lengths and be specific. But then just calling it that, I'm like, oh. It's so vague. It's such a vague term. Formula One, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> so, so so frustrating. Uh, Haas didn't score any points today. Alpha Tauri didn't score any points today. And yet, there you go, Williams uh, with six points. So valuable at the end of the year as well for the prize money. Mm-hmm. And huge result today for the team. Massive result. Driver of the day, whatever you think of that vote, uh, is absolutely rightly uh, going to Alex Albon today. He should be a very happy boy after that. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So we, we saw Esteban Ocon and he just couldn't get past. He just he could, just could not overtake in that, in that Alpine, which is a quick car. Strange how it's, well, I'd say lots of people had a go and couldn't get past, uh, past the Williams. So that was strange to see from Alpine. Gasly had a bad weekend with the bad qualifying and uh, and perhaps uh, one for for him to forget. Let's talk a little bit about the Saturday because there, there are. I mean, we could go through everybody everybody's race, but I want to talk uh, particularly about how Saturday went and get Elizabeth uh, your thoughts on the Hulkenberg situation. Put it second on the road on merit. Yeah, he got lucky. He got lucky with the red flag. That's fine. I was at a <laughs> a kids party today, a bouncy castle party. Whatever that translates to, would you would you call them bouncy castles? Is that a, a bounce house? A bounce house. I guess a bounce house party. Like like five bounce houses. That's awesome. Um, I know. Yeah. And like 45-year-olds all running around, (laughs) all just sweaty and high on fizzy pop. And and one of the dads I got on really well with from my kid's school was like, he knows that I work in in, in Formula One. And he came straight over. I'm so looking forward to the race today with Nico Hulkenberg second. And I was like, yeah, he's, he's starting fifth because it took him six hours to decide on a <laughs> on a penalty. I don't want to get into my rant. I did it all yesterday. Where were you on the whole Hulkenberg thing and the decision and the penalty? And da, 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 da. I really wish we could have seen him start in second. I don't think it would have lasted that long, but it was, you know, similar to what we saw Kevin Magnuson last year getting pulled before the sprint race. And it's just nice to kind of see something weird and some kind of throw me something crazy. I want to see what happens. I want to see how everyone responds to the Haas being up there in the front. Mm. But I also do kind of personally just get a kick out of Nico Hulkenberg's terrible, terrible luck. That's Pete Hulkenberg, right? It, that's just, really that's, that's exactly what, that's what he does. So yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, I was disappointed. Um, just because it would have been, it would have been really neat. But Formula One is going to Formula One. He was not the only one who fell victim to a very long stewarding inquiry. That's F1. That's what it is. Yeah, that's what it does. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got this new VAR thing. It's Switzerland, yeah. Like, the, the things like Hulkenberg going too quickly under the red flag. Firstly, it's a slam dunk. It's, it's like going too fast in the pit lane mm-hmm. or getting your grid box alignment wrong. It doesn't need an investigation. We can all see it. They can see it on the timing screens. He went too quickly. Yeah, it sucks. It sucks that he got a penalty. It's rubbish. But they, before the end of the race today, they applied Lando Norris's penalty a little bit early, maybe a lap too early. And he dropped down to 13th even before the checkered flag. They can do that, but they took six hours to decide <laughs> that Hulkenberg went too quick under the red flag. Mitigating circumstances, I get it, I get it. That should be like a computer. That should be an algorithm somewhere. Yeah. That, that should goes, be oh, immediate. You've got a delta. It's not a grey kind of matter that you need to talk to them about. It's just a delta time. And you went too mm-hmm. quickly and it's rubbish and it sucks. And whether it's the team's fault for not keeping an eye on that and, and directing their driver, maybe he got overwhelmed in the moment. But either way, I don't know. It's just I, this is Formula One being Formula One, and it's like <laughs> ah, so frustrating. Um, uh, so before we go, before we go, Phil, any other standout performances or notable drives that you want to raise uh, for our listeners? I don't know about notable drives, but I just thought, like, like Elizabeth said earlier, I thought the midfield battle was quite entertaining because we. I was really afraid that it was just going to be DRS trains and nothing but DRS trains, and, and we did see some action. We saw people pass each other. We saw some aggressive moves in turn one. Um, I guess we could talk about Nick DeVries and Kevin Magnussen. 
they had the nice little spat. I uh, mm-hmm. thought that was interesting. Um, Especially when they took it. Well, they didn't. They didn't take each other off. Nick DeVries just drove down the inside and didn't didn't turn, and so they took them both off. Um, that was fun. Yeah, and I liked how uh, Kevin Magnuson said afterwards. Like, you know, I race people hard, so. I'm not going to be too upset about it because I would have done the same thing. That wasn't a dangerous moment, but it was a moment of uh, a little bit daft. And yet in IndyCar, Romain Grosjean, Mm -hmm. Will Power, had a bigger incident, in fairness. That's like fisticuffs. That's like they're just... Whereas in NASCAR, they do just end up punching each other. So it's been a while since we saw people actually physically fighting in Formula One. But uh, I'm not yeah, advocating I know it's not for the right podcast, but I really enjoyed no, no, no. Will Power this weekend. It was a good one. It, yes. he, was on top, he was on it this weekend. He was punchy. Before we go, I want to ask you, Elizabeth, about uh, Formula One in North America because yes. it's great to see F1 back in Canada. It's great. What a brilliant track. Miami, second year, different to the first year, but I thought, good. Cota is always amazing. And then the big unknown, and obviously, yeah, Mexico is fantastic, but um, the big unknown is Vegas. Yeah. Uh, are you looking forward to it? Do you want to go? I honestly, I am like in everybody's inbox because I want to go to that race so bad. It's one of those things where I just, I feel like I need to be there to see that spectacle unfold. I'm not super confident that it's going to be worth the money that people will be spending to attend that event. Um, I'm Mm. not necessarily confident the racing will be awesome. However, I think it is very, very cool that we're at a level in North America where this kind of thing can happen, where we can, you know, unfortunately charge egregious amounts of money for tickets because people are so desperate. They want to see this in action to close down the strip in Vegas, to be able to do things like it. This was unthinkable for anyone three years ago. Um, If you would have asked me three years ago, if I thought we'd have three F1 races in the US, I would have laughed and been like, are you sure you're not talking about the 80s? Um, (laughs) We're well past that era, but it's it's cool to see it grow. But I do think F1 needs to kind of keep its finger on the pulse of the the opinions of the fans as we continue to grow. Um, A lot of people have been upset about those things like ticket prices because it prices a lot of folks out um, and that's going to happen. That's inevitable, but it is, it, it's just something that I think that will be the storyline that plays out here um, is who get, who can go to these events? How accessible can they become? Um, and is it worth having three events in America if most of America can't actually get there? And what's your thoughts on the traditional circuits versus going to new places? Because Formula One can't, expand infinitely Mm -hmm. as Mm -hmm. much as they would love to do 26 30 races a year like there is physically a limit of what of of what you can do and then so there's always going to be tracks that you can't always go to a uh you know a classic track and we've still got some great you know we've still Mm -hmm. got spa we've still got silverstone we've still got those classic tracks on the calendar but you know where do you sit on that line of going to new places versus maintaining the history of uh you know racing at places that we've seen for years decades i do i really love the historical stuff but at the same time i think as f1 has grown in america it's made me kind of rethink that of you know do i want to see tracks like watkins Glen or road america be refined to host f1 in a similar Mm. way do i want to see some of those classic european tracks that might have fallen off of the fia grade one level do i want to see them 
changed. You know, these they're, they're going to be completely different than what we would normally expect. I'm glad we're experimenting. I'm glad F1 is going to new places. I don't know that the street races for everything, everywhere, all the time is going to be the best strategy going forward. But um, mm. we have seen, you know, countries like Saudi Arabia putting in significant investment in order to build up racetracks. Um, I think Saudi Arabia is kind of an anomaly just because of the amount of money the kingdom has. But, you know, it's not totally impossible that we wouldn't see something similar happen somewhere else. Um, I do love Coda. I wish we had more stuff like that where, you know, not really a classic track, but, it, you know, purpose built, a lot of fun. Um, it's been a real pleasure to watch that track grow over the last 10 years. My first race was, you know, 2014, every year since I've been there. Um, and to see the way that it's developed has been really nice. But yeah, I, I'm torn. People are like, what if they went back to Watkins Glen? And I'm like, absolutely not. I love <laughs> I love that track. How they, it would is right it. they would ruin exactly. it. They would ruin it completely. And my worry about Vegas is yeah. I love Vegas for what it is, which is all show and no substance. Mm-hmm. Like, that's why I love to go to Vegas. A lot of people don't like going to Vegas. It's, I suppose a lot of Europeans as well are sniffy about it because it, it is all fake. And I get that. It's fine. But that's why I love going to Vegas because it is mm-hmm. – if you take it at face value and you go and have fun and everything's fake and it's all a veneer – and then don't take, take Vegas too seriously. But then also as a Formula One fan, and I can be a bit sniffy about Formula One, and it's like, well, you're changing it. It's going to be on a Saturday night. And it's just going to, is it just going to be all show for the sake of it? Are we going to get a decent race out of it? We'll see. Saying that, we're about to go to the Red Bull ring in Austria, which is brilliant. And then Silverstone, mm-hmm. which is brilliant. Then the Hungaro ring, which is fantastic. And then Zandvoort. And, uh, and then we'll go to Monza. So I can... I can just shut up about going to classic tracks because we're about we're about to go into a brilliant run of amazing, and then we're into the uh, summer break. What's the yeah summer break is after what am I spa. thinking? Hungary, uh, Spa. Okay, so there you go. Year. And Spa, yeah, they've got spa, spa too. So, yeah. so there you go. I can just I can just shut up about going to new places. So, <laughs> yeah, it's a brilliant run of fantastic tracks. So guys, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. You can always email the show and uh, it's podcast at autosport.com. You can follow the stuff we do online for our youtube channel as well which is uh, just search autosport we do our preview shows uh hopefully uh we've got some stuff coming up between now and austria where we'll have a look at the state of the season so far a third of the season in and uh, and how uh the competition if they are catching up to red bull of which i'm not sure they are uh are going uh, elizabeth how can our listeners find you and follow you on various social media places uh, at on Twitter, I am at Eliz underscore Blackstock, and on Instagram, I am Eliz A Blackstock. I tried to get both of those the same, and I can't do it. Um, everything I do in my entire life will be on either of those places, and you'll be able to find it there. <laughs> if you like either motor racing and or cats, you are well served by uh, yeah. your social My husband, media. as we were recording this, my husband just caught a fourth one, so. <laughs> So there you go. Uh, and Philip, thank you so much for joining us. When are we next sending you to a racetrack? I'm going to Austria as well in two weeks' time. Oh, Oh, fantastic. Oh, have a good one. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you for listening, uh, as always. And we'll catch you on the next one. Sports Social Podcast Network.